2: And on today's show, we're talking about banking. More specifically, we're talking about innovation taking place in the payments industry and how they might impact the way we interact with our money in the future. It's likely impossible to understate just how much of a chore it is to drive to a bank, wait in line, interact with the teller, and wait to have a transaction completed. But believe it or not, in 2021, somewhere between 25 to 30% of all Americans reported still doing of their banking in-person. And while the rest of us have moved on to the far opposite end of the spectrum and prefer to do 100% of our banking online instead, the banks themselves seem to continue to create tools and add features with that smaller minority in mind. Whether it's transferring funds between banks, sending money to friends, or paying bills, Tech native folks who regularly perform these types of transactions tend to have to rely on smaller startups and third party services to bridge the gap and allow us to interact with our money the way we would prefer. However, there are some smaller banks who have figured out ways to innovate while staying compliant with federal and state laws and stand to drastically increase their market share in the future as the world goes more and more digital thanks to Web3. And while I love to discuss the shortcomings of the banking industry, their seeming unwillingness to embrace technology and get ahead of the trends and pontificate on what could and should be, I am by no means the world's foremost expert when it comes to this arena. So I decided to call up someone who is. My guest, Aaron Wallner, is the chief marketing officer of Quantic, a digital first bank on a mission. Prior to joining Quantic, Aaron spent over 15 years honing his marketing skills at companies such as American Express and Bank of America, as well as a few fintechs such as TaxSlayer and Betterment, to name a few. Aaron is a big proponent of using data and analytics to drive decision-making, but in a responsible way, and he prides himself on helping lead the charge to become the first digital bank in the metaverse. So with that brief introduction, welcome Aaron Wolner to the Tech Money Podcast.
3: Much appreciated, Malcolm. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, and I appreciate you making the time to do this and, and come on and uh, and talk to me about this. So I I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro there. What else should I have included about you?
3: Yeah, I think a uh, good summary. Obviously, you could, you could sort of dive deeper. I think each of our experiences sort of, you know, this the sum of the parts. And so I probably do more reflecting than the average person, for better or for worse. And, and I look back on some of the, the pivotal moments in, in my personal journey, my personal career, and it's been—it's the unpredictable turns for me personally that have given me sort of the most insight and put some uh, wear and tear on my tires, per se, <laughs> even if I didn't ask for it. So, yeah, a few things come to mind just in terms of spending a good bit of time on the agency side mm-hmm. uh, in, in the beginning part of my career, coming into marketing from a data analytics angle, and and joining a startup out of school. That was first to market with multivariate testing, which is, you know, very heady stuff. And so I sort of fell in love with the, you know, the numbers and the mathematical side of marketing. It sort of showed me that marketing can can be some, some serious stuff. And so my journey on the agency side and, and then on the brand side, helping to, to lead um, marketing for a handful of fintechs and consulting for some of the bigger financial institutions along the way. It's funny how some of those turns have actually softened me mm-hmm. as a data data nut, and actually have uh, you know I think if there's a spectrum between zeros and ones on the, the numbers, the analytics side of things, and sort of the, the the feeling right. I think brand with a capital B is sort of how marketers think about it, and if if I was really close to all the way to that you know the, the numbers and data side of the spectrum. I'm not quite in the middle but I've I've certainly moved towards the feeling aspect and and just the importance of a brand and you know that's been a an interesting journey and something that was actually a little unexpected for me personally.
2: Well you're also applying that in the right place because if there's one thing banks love obviously it's ones and zeros to help make every single decision and so it makes perfect sense that the space you would Hone your craft and apply those skills would be in the banking sector, who appreciates data-driven anything when it comes to making decisions.
3: Yeah, that, that's spot on. And in, in my opinion, you know, I my, my uh, one of the things that I sort of start out with um, when speaking to people about data analytics and some of the pitfalls is the fact that we're all data-driven, right? Mm-hmm. So every marketer mm-hmm. in the room is data-driven. Now, what does that mean, right? So what are some of the mistakes we might we might be making? And how are we sort of misreading or or misunderstanding the data in front of us? And there's some really interesting examples, some popular ones that have come to light with financial services in particular. You know, you've got machine learning and you've got really smart technology that is completely algorithmic and data driven making lending decisions. And on paper, it looks brilliant. But, you know, if you sort of ask an ethicist to peel back the layers, it's sort of, reinforcing bias and mm-hmm, it is, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways problematic. So it's just really interesting stuff. And and I love, um, I just love discussing that.
2: Well, I actually want to stay in that direction that you just took us because what you were sort of leaning into was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, which was the fact that you guys are a CDFI, uh, which, is a bit of a unique identifier for a bank. I know less than 5% of all banks have this identifier to them and most people listening are likely not even familiar with what that acronym means. So could you just explain what that is and and what types of customers you guys focus on specifically?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, community development financial institution mm-hmm. and so like you said, it's just a very small percentage of banks in the country that are awarded this by the United States Treasury. And we're one of them. And what that means is we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to make sure that at least 60% of our loans are to CDFI designated areas. And it gets you know complicated in terms of how that's defined. But the net of it is that we have a responsibility to bank and help the The underserved, the underbanked, the underrepresented, the overlooked, right? There's lots of good synonyms, I think, for for that population. If you close Mm -hmm. your eyes and picture that person, it's typically a minority, right? Mm -hmm. But the really interesting thing is we're finding, especially in these pandemic, post-pandemic days where everything's got a little weird, right? It's the gig worker too. It's the freelancer. Mm -hmm. It's the person who's sort of found themselves in between things. And so, you know, one of our bread and butter products is is non-qm mortgage lending mm-hmm. and we just we end up helping a lot of really good hard-working self-employed gig worker freelancer type people where if you sort of close your eyes and, and picture that you know underrepresented population that may not be who we're helping every time Yep. so it's just really been a uh, a nice journey but at the end of the day we feel like we're helping people that other banks can't or won't and that that, that feels great
2: yeah, to that end, I saw online that you guys are responsible for issuing something like two billion dollars in mortgages to date, and over I think the the stat was over seventy percent of those loans uh, are done in lower income communities. That's that's pretty significant, especially since you said the threshold is sixty percent.
3: Yeah, so we we track that closely. A, we have to. <laughs> yeah, but B, but but B, we really um, we hang our hat on that. And I think even from a culture standpoint. And, um, you know, wh- my job, you know, now is more of a people leader than maybe a doer. Mm-hmm. Um, although I still love the doing aspect of my job, but, but from a, from a people standpoint and from a culture standpoint, people that, that we hire the people on my team, they, they love being a part of that. They love working for a bank, working for a company that is, you know, it's clear as day, right? We all have access to this dashboard where we can slice and. And, and see the data on just the, the big numbers, like you're talking about, you know, a few billion a year, and, mm-hmm. you know, close to 70% of that being being this population, we all feel really great about that. So culturally, it actually, you know, it's it's good for recruiting, it's it's good for retention. And I know that those are sort of, you know, nuts and bolts, a little cold and calculating <laughs> of me. But yeah, at the end of the day, it, it's... Uh, well, it's not a necessarily, though. Because,
2: yeah. you know, we're we're in a place where we've seen this with the great resignation brought this home in record numbers. We've gotten to a place where younger workers are no longer the minority in the workplace and younger workers typically want to work for places that they feel good about. Right. That's the reason you're seeing so many CEOs having to come out and be way more vocal about social issues than they ever thought they would have to be when they became the CEO of Disney or Apple or something like that. And so I think it does actually help, at least to a little extent, with onboarding new employees or attracting new employees, just being able to brag about those numbers that you're actually doing the things in the community that all banks say that they care about doing. And others, you know, will make a loan or two just to satisfy their Community Redevelopment Act, you know, numbers. And then there's the ones who actually lend primarily into areas that folks tend to look at on a map and go, "Mm, I don't know
3: yeah that, that's exactly right I, I wouldn't say it's why we do it but it's it's a it's a heck of a perk
2: yeah well you guys talk a lot about you know working with folks who are traditionally locked out of the banking system and we've started out the conversation in that direction and usually when we say we're going to cater to an underserved population regardless of what they look like that generally means that the service offering is going to suffer right but i don't get that sense here reviewing kind of like everything that you guys are offering and doing in fact, you guys are actually kind of leading with technology. I can't even say kind of because you're a digital first bank. You guys are leading with technology, which you know I'll get to in a moment. But my question here is, what do you think has been the benefit or even secret sauce maybe of working with folks in this community who are traditionally overlooked?
3: Yeah, if, if you're a superhero guy, it's, it's because of our origin story, <laughs> um, in in my opinion, and our origin story, I think, is pretty unique and interesting. Just about a decade ago, we were a community bank. And so those are our humble roots. And 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 I think that we carry that in our DNA. And it took us quite a while. You know, digital transformation, it's such, it's such an overused term. What does it even mean? But, you know, we came out the other end and here we are. Mm-hmm. We closed all of our branches. We completely broke away from the brick and mortar banking business and we're completely digital and and online, so we could sort of point to certain things and say, you know, we we did it, we've transformed, we are digital. The journey was not short, the journey was not easy. But sort of to answer your question on how do we deliver great service as rates rise, as the market continues to be more volatile, it's because of our origin story. It's because of our humble roots as a community bank. And being digital first tends to also mean being a little hands-off, Right, mm-hmm. I think it's you know the the best example that comes to mind right now is you know a chat bot a chat bot as opposed to talking to a human. Yep. And while that's an efficient solution for the right circumstance, I don't know about you, but I don't love talking to bots. And so we 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 take that sort of community based approach. That sort of um, you know that was our foundation, that was our beginning, mm-hmm. and we try and apply that human aspect. So we're actually really great at service, particularly on the mortgage side. We've got these really incredible, talented—whether uh, it's loan officers or account executives—or you know, our operations is top-notch. And so, yeah, I think that it's a fragile balance between being digital-first and customer-centric. And again, those are buzzwords, but day to day, how do we make those things real?
2: Well, for the record, really quickly, I don't mind bots when they do actually agree to give me a <laughs> refund for the thing that went wrong. It's when they say, sorry, we can't send you a refund that I'm like, I need to talk to a human. This is clearly not going the way I expected, but I, right. I I digress. But but what you're getting at and where I was initially alluding to is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. It's that I find the innovation that you guys have built into your service offerings to be pretty refreshing from a, a banking standpoint, like the fact that you offer a Bitcoin rewards checking account. I haven't seen that anywhere else just yet, not at any of the major banking institutions, at least, right? And so like banks are traditionally known for being slow to adopt change and offer new technologies. So how is it that you guys are able to move faster than like a Bank of America or JP Morgan Chase, for example, and innovate so quickly since you operate under similar rules?
3: we definitely yeah. operate under similar rules right it's a heavy, heavily regulated industry for really good reasons and we're no exception to that however we're nimble right so because of our size you know one of the things that sort of we say to one another on a weekly basis is bank of america we are not and we love being david right not yeah. goliath and and so going to like battle tactics right how do you how do you play to your strengths and use that to your advantage and we are we're nimble and so we really have leaned into that in, in the form of innovation. And we've really fine-tuned how we innovate. And so the first sort of blockbuster innovation two years ago almost was uh, the Bitcoin rewards uh, car that you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not easy, as you might guess, right? We're talking about a you know a, a traditional banking core backend system, uh, legal, compliance, right? All the stuff that comes with being a bank. Not to mention, crypto is this thing that mainstream, I mean, if you step back and think about it, you're talking about decentralized finance and how to incorporate that into a centralized system, right? Just bigger picture. And those two things just are diametrically imposed. And so we weren't trying to crack that nut, right? I think one of the big things that we do is not take our innovations too seriously. And by that, I mean, we're not trying to solve world problems here. Right? We're trying to bring innovation to finance in fun and meaningful ways and play into people's passions. And so mm-hmm. if you're a crypto enthusiast or you're crypto curious, well, here's a product for you. Right, yeah. And and the beauty of that product really is that I own crypto, but it, it took a lot of self-motivation to learn about it, to dip my toe into it. It took some courage right, to jump in with my money. And so how do we lower that bar for people who are crypto curious? And the beauty of this product is that you can sort of sit back. So it's not a lean forward approach to crypto. It mm-hmm. is a lean back. You can you can earn it in the form of rewards. So you're not investing your money. You're earning, and you're 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 into crypto, and it's fun, right? Which now I think is you're in on the conversation. <laughs> I think
2: that probably makes it an easier way to be in on the conversation for the majority of people, right? If I think about I won't even say my parents specifically because there's no way in hell they'd ever trust their money to, to <laughs> Bitcoin. But, like, if I just think about folks that are not of this early adopter, Gen Z millennial, generation that immediately looks at it and goes, I'll try it. I trust it. I have trust for online banking systems and tools anyway. I have trust in my money being online anyway. I'll try it. But I think it gives people who are skeptics like myself, who's an old millennial who's skeptical of basically everything. It gives people like me the ability to say, I'll try owning you know a fraction of a share of Bitcoin without having to, to do too much extra to get there, right? It's me sacrificing the rewards I would get from my Amex card, for example, and instead getting them from my debit card. Okay. I can make that leap, but it's not too far fetched, right? Versus me cashing out a portion of my brokerage account and investing that into a fraction of a Bitcoin, right? Like it, it just makes it easier to get there to your point.
3: We lowered the bar, right? right. And and to do that was really rewarding. And to be truthful here. As, as a marketing guy, right, we we create personas, we do market research, we prop up campaigns with all sorts of information and, and assumptions and, and all that stuff that goes into you know, marketing a new product. And you know, our our primary persona here were crypto enthusiasts and early adopters, just like you're saying. Mm-hmm. We pivoted pretty quickly, realizing that the early adopters of our Bitcoin rewards card were not crypto enthusiasts. They were the crypto curious and so we pivoted pretty quickly and and played into that and changed our marketing and our messaging but that to me as just you know when i think about learning experiences you know that's a really good example of sometimes i love being wrong (laughs) you know
2: (laughs) all right so as we get back into this let's let's talk about payments for a second right because that's where i teed this up as kind of the focus and earlier this year you guys launched a, a contactless payments ring which again I had never heard of before, but basically it seems like you guys have taken contactless payments a step further. And instead of using my iPhone and tap and, you know, make purchases that way, I can now use a ring instead. Is that it? Or am I characterizing this incorrectly and making it too simple?
3: No, it's, it's simple as can be. And, and I think, you know, history has shown at least in my opinion, that some of the best ideas are are simple ones. And so think about, plastic card in your leather wallet mm-hmm. why right why why plastic card so why not take that contactless chip and embed it into something that's a wearable like a ring on your finger and there's a playful aspect to it right you know i don't know if you're a ring guy or, or married but there's just a fun element to it and uh we, we've just gotten a lot of great feedback since we launched it
2: Yeah, so i've been wearing the rubber amazon wedding band for two and a half years now and just that's it. Like it, it never occurred. Like, and that's the only thing that I'll put on my hand. Like, I don't like jewelry normally, but like, I saw this and I was like, "That's pretty cool." Like, it's yeah. it's pretty obvious now that I've seen one. But where did that idea even come from?
3: Yeah. So you know, we we are obviously looking for great ideas on a regular basis. I mm-hmm. think that to practice innovation, it's not okay once a quarter we're going to innovate, right? I think that it's <laughs> it's, it's an attitude. It's something that you you are conscious of in your daily routine, and so you know we were going to some trade shows, and one of the trade shows we went to a few years ago, uh, we met a vendor that had had some of this technology, and we did some more research and just found that this didn't really exist in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and really nowhere in the world, quite frankly, at that point. And so we just got excited and and we ran with it with the right amount of due diligence. But I think the point is is that when you, you know, when you see a great idea, right, it, it's sort of the, um, you know, when you see it. And <laughs> it's a little bit of a, a delicate approach, right? Because you could just point to something and say, yeah, that that's the thing. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think that we've developed a pretty keen sense of what works for us, what fits with our brand identity, where can we make an impact? What is the market really hungry for? And we just sort of quickly concluded that the market was hungry for contactless payment to be made sort of simple and fun. And we brought it to market.
2: But can you explain the mechanics a little bit though? Like how does the ring actually get access to my checking account details and store it? Since from what I could tell, it doesn't look like there's any electrical component to it.
3: There is no electrical component to it. So, you know, you could take it to the beach and and one of the selling points, this is also the fun part of marketing is that, you know, you're appealing to different audiences. And Mm -hmm. so, one of the things that we found has worked for us is appealing to outdoorsy people, even getting news coverage, both in New York City on, on on New York One. I don't know if you've ever lived in New York, but that's like New Yorkers beloved channel and in L.A. the other week. And so and that coverage was around the beach. Right. And it's all these practical use cases have sort of popped up. And we've gotten some really good coverage over out of it. But anyway, all that to say, it is water resistant, it is made out of a type of ceramic, so it's very sleek, very light, very sort of modern looking. And inside of that lives the same chip technology that lives in your, you know, plastic card.
2: Mm, okay. Yeah, that that makes it make sense. It, it it's obvious after you say it, like it's the same technology as your card. Well, there's no power source on my card either, right? That's like, right. So,
3: <laughs> yeah, you, so it's, I don't I don't know if you charge your card when you, you know, get home at night.
2: I don't have that. Amex. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, but I don't have that
3: one. <laughs> me neither.
2: But but so, like, why is payments a thing that you guys decided is important enough or, or enough of a pain point to go and try and disrupt? Right. Like I, my Amex I keep referring to has contactless payment capabilities built into it. Right. And so does my cell phone that I mentioned before. Why isn't that good
3: enough? Well, let me ask you, do you use on, you know, on your average purchase, do you typically insert your card or hover to contact
2: I don't go anywhere and purchase anything in person at this point. So I'm a terrible, <laughs> I'm a terrible use case for that question. But in the old world, back when, you know, life was simple, I did actually enjoy going and tapping the card and not having to actually swipe it and do all that stuff. But the only place I can imagine, I can envision me using it in the last like 90 days is just to tap on the gas station, which is even a relief, like not having to swipe, insert my card in that thing that I'm always wondering, is there something else tucked away in there trying to steal my credit card information? To be able to just contactless tap my card at the, the gas pump is even a big deal for me.
3: And it's so much faster is what you notice when you start doing it, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's faster. And like, I'm not worried. <laughs> again, I'm a, a a person who's constantly worried about data privacy and like people trying to steal information. And so like, I'm always investigating the structure of this thing that I'm about to insert my card into wondering whether somebody has managed to piggyback it because that's how often, how so often people manage to steal your credit card information.
3: Right. There's that in the back of your head, right? Just that, that story of people stealing your, your information just by sort of that contactless payment Approach, but I think that it's a really good example of us not trying to cure the world problem, cure the world's problems per mm-hmm. se, right? So, um, is there anything fundamentally wrong with payment? You could debate that a little bit, but at the end of the day, it kind of works, right? And so, I asked you that question about inserting your card because if you sort of think about it, and and most people don't, right, it's just sort of a few seconds, that is a part of your your day. But, you know, inserting your card, and if you go travel somewhere and experience uh, in Western Europe, the contactless infrastructure Mm -hmm. is so ubiquitous, that it is almost everywhere. And so they're there, and they're using contactless, and it's fast, it's simple, it's easy. And if you sort of think about, when you insert your card, it's like almost stressful, right? It's like, keep it in, keep it in, keep it in, take it out. right? Like it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's yelling at you, right? And, and and I don't know about you, but like, there's, like, it's a bit of like stress there. And, you know, unless you pause and, and, and sort of meditate on it, which I don't think many people are doing there, there, there is kind of something to solve there. And so we wanted to bring some joy to payment, quite frankly. And we did that. We delivered that in the form of a ring and, 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 you know, the, the folks that have become early adopters over the past couple of months, we've just gotten really incredible feedback.
2: Yeah. I was thinking like, you guys have to have seen a a significant spike in traffic just by rolling out something as simple as that, because I saw it and immediately was like, Oh, I need that. And it's not one of those things that you can say, like it would count as an impulse thing, an impulse buy quote unquote, that you would just, one time think you needed it and never really again. Because to your point, our money is something we interact with on a daily basis. And so the more times I have to deal with that friction of pulling out my card, finding where my card is in some people's case, having to pull the card out, deal with the terminal, all that kind of stuff, being able to to reduce that friction makes life easier. It doesn't necessarily save me any money, but it definitely saves me some heartburn. And that's the part about the American banking system that has just driven me crazy to this point, because as you're saying, there's so many other countries that have already adopted things like instant money transfers, where the ACH system has been around the way it is since like the mid-60s. And anytime you talk to somebody who leads one of the big six banks, they're kind of like, well, that's just the way it is. We need this time because blah, blah, blah. And in reality, you don't necessarily need that time. Because if I'm willing to pay it an extra dollar or $5 or whatever, somehow you seemingly can get the money there instantly. But if I'm not willing to pay the extra fee, then it takes three days to make an ACH transfer, right? Like, And I'm being a little bit intentionally negative here in describing it because those are sort of the pain points that I've seen other countries manage to get past somehow, even though a lot of them operate on similar banking rules to what we have here in the U.S.,
3: it's a great question. If others have figured it out, why can't we? Right? Yeah. And so from a business standpoint, even from a marketing standpoint, what we're doing is reducing friction, like you said, but even one level up would be making something that is typically perceived to be mundane, boring, stressful, whatever sort of that that payment process, you know, is for you, it's certainly not enjoyable. And what we did was we turned something around and and the incredible thing is, and this is more the marketing guy telling some, some fun learnings along the way. Hmm. Part of our campaign to promote this was influencers and to get folks that are, uh, that have followership on different platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, we, we paid them to, to promote it, right? It was, it was a part of our launch and the, visibility that we got from that compared to what the organic UGC, right, user generated content Mm -hmm. actually drummed up for us, it paled in comparison because people loved it. The people who used it, what we found was, was that more often than not, and this is imprecise, it's not scientific, but in my experience and and, in those of the folks that we've spoken to and customers and, and sort of collecting early data, more than half the time, you'll get a reaction. And how cool is that? right? You'll actually start a conversation in a day and age where we're all just a little bit more cautious, right? I don't know about you, but I'm just a little bit more cautious out there. I'm cautious about everything, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared right now, right now. Um, So what we found is that more than half the time, you'll start a conversation with the person behind the counter or the people behind you in line, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, what's that? How did you do that? And, you know, we, we, we're not trying to go, and change society in any sort of big and meaningful way, but it, it's cool to sort of put something out there that truly is a conversation starter. So that's been a really, really interesting sort of fun part of what we rolled out.
2: Yeah, I, I again, I saw it and I was just like, "What the heck is that? Like, and why doesn't Bank of America or Wells Fargo already offer this? Right? Like, why is it a? But it's it's usually the inverse. It's usually smaller uh, smaller firm has to create the thing, get enough people using it to where. Mid-size and larger scale banks get jealous and figure out a way 10 years later to incorporate it. And that's the way the banking industry treats innovation from what I've seen. So like to that end though, are you guys looking at talking about planning to, to the extent you can tell me this, actually licensing some of these different technologies that you figured out how to incorporate? Or is this a thing where you guys are like, no, we're going to keep it in house and you got to come here to get it?
3: we're going to keep it in house and you got to come here to get it, I think is, is the play for now. I think to innovate like that, you know, you can only do that every so often in in financial services and especially at our size. Right. So we're, we're very aware of that. And especially when we do something that is such a good fit for us, right. As a brand as quantic. And then that is so well received in the marketplace that that's something that we want to continue to sort of have ourselves that that's ours. We did that and to continue to sort of promote that and, offer that to our customers.
2: I completely understand. I, I I was hoping that like fingers crossed when I asked that you were going to say, Oh yeah, we've already like, you know, started partnerships with some of the other banks. And this is going to be a thing you see everywhere soon. But I also like completely understand why it makes more sense to keep it in-house and keep it for your, for yourself. But before we get to get ready to wrap up, since you guys have you know, migrated your your business to online, and this is a traditionally stodgy industry that doesn't embrace innovation very well. But you guys have, I think, you might be uniquely qualified to to answer this. What would your main message be to folks who are considering building a business in an industry that is traditionally slow to adopt change and embrace new technologies?
3: I I think the first piece of advice would be ask basic questions, right? I think that we all sort of just assumed that things are the way they are. You brought up a really good example with ACH. Why can't payment be instantaneous? Right. And I think in an industry that is, is stodgy, like you said, it is slow and almost intentionally slow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, asking basic questions about the fundamentals of how this whole thing is set up can really lead you to an insight, right? And and, and potentially a product and and potentially an offering. So we we try and have that humble approach. We try and ask the basic question and 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 why not? It goes back to the example of like why why does why does a piece of plastic have to be the way that you pay? Yeah, and that took us down a fun path, and so that's really worked for us.
2: Awesome. Well, my last last question actually has absolutely nothing to do with banking. May not have anything to do with marketing either. So you can kind of relax your shoulders a little bit and, and, and sit back for a second. But let's say for a moment, you never found your passion for marketing in the fintech sector, let's say. So you had to find a, a different way to occupy your days. But money wasn't a factor in your decision making at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now?
3: Honest answer is either on or near a beach. Okay. <laughs> And and not necessarily, you know, sitting with the margarita in hand all day, but I think that environment plays such a crucial role in your mindset. Mm-hmm. And what I found is I'm 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 happiest in the sun by the water, right? I think a lot of people would probably share that. And whether that's, you know, a lake, whether that's a buzzing downtown, find an environment that makes you happy and makes you Feel at peace, right? You just suggested I rest my shoulders. Yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot to that, right? When your shoulders are easy, right? When your mind is at rest and calm, you can enjoy the process. And this is coming from a guy who was completely outcome-oriented <laughs> to a to a, to a fault. And I and I've learned some some hard lessons along the way. But I I would pursue things sort of at, at all costs. And I've learned that. And this is sort of common knowledge. And so I think wisdom we all hold within, but it's, it's the journey. It's not the destination. And to live that and to practice that is just so hard and yeah, find your peaceful place. And I think the rest will flow from there.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron. This has been, uh, this has been great. And I appreciate you being so, so generous with your time. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or Quantic after this goes live?
3: Yeah. Quantic.com and then LinkedIn. Happy to, uh, meet and greet. So appreciate it, Malcolm. It's been, it's been a bunch of fun.
2: Awesome. Well on that upbeat ending, Eric, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir?
4: I'd be happy to, but before I do that, I've got to say, Aaron, I am that guy. I'm the guy that went to the gas station in slip on shoes, gym shorts (laughs) and a, and a, and a tank top. And got out of his car and then grumbled to himself because he grabbed his grandson's wallet instead of his. It looked very similar because it's actually my old wallet that I gave him. And I got back in my car in a huff and drove back home without putting any gas in my car because I didn't have a ring or a bracelet (laughs) or necklace or... Shoot, I'd wear a headband at that point, you know, just to not touch anything, you know, because it's just gross at most gas stations. Anywho, I'm that guy. I just did that last (laughs) week. Seriously. So... I'm, I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm definitely going to be looking into it. Malcolm, of course, thank you for facilitating this podcast, bringing him on the show. And of course, our last thank you is always for your listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, leave a review, and this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money.
1: This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you.